Ryan Grubb turned down the offensive coordinator job at Alabama again. And now Kalen DeBoer has got a big problem. You are locked on college football. Your daily podcast on all things college football. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On College Football. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view every day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the biggest stories in the greatest sports on planet Earth. Coaching carousel, realignment, the portal, we've got all that and more. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. These days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has the right people for your team faster and for free. They help you find them. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Terms and conditions do apply. Kalen DeBoer, UCLA, and SMU and the ACC all coming up on today's show because I think the Mustangs are a fascinating overbet, shall we say, which are up on FanDuel. Maybe my favorite thing ever, but Kalen DeBoer's got a problem. Kalen DeBoer's got a problem, and that's that not only did Ryan Grubb, his offensive coordinator, jump ship as they moved from Seattle down to Tuscaloosa. I guess the move never really got made. Scott Huff, the offensive line coach, who just coached the Joe Moore Award-winning offensive line, given to the best unit in the country, helped get Washington the national championship game. Those two coaches, who were key architects in the Huskies' run, key clogs, Cogs, I think is the word I'm looking for there, in Alabama's would-be staff are are now gone. They're off to the NFL. They did a Jeff Halfley, if you will. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be there. I'd rather be an offensive coordinator in the NFL and an offensive line coach in the NFL than be an offensive coordinator at the University of Alabama. For a guy who goes way back, way, way back, with Ryan Grubb, and that's Kalen DeBoer. I mean, you go back to their time at the University of Sioux Falls when they were an NAIA school. They coached together there. They coached together at Fresno State. They coached together at Washington. And Kalen DeBoer's got a problem because this guy has been his play caller for the last couple of years. And Ryan Grubb is really good. He's really good. I'll tell you, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan, and I love this move. Absolutely love it. Grubb is sharp, really good, creative, clever, innovative, gets his guys the ball in one-on-one situations, trusts his guys to make plays, explosive. They, They can run the ball when they need to. Everything about a good offensive coordinator is something I think Ryan Grubb possesses. I'm stoked to have him for my NFL team. We're talking college football, though. This problem is threefold for Kalen DeBoer. Number one, he needs a new OC. Number two, he needs a new offensive line coach. And number three, look how late in the coaching carousel we are. Apparently not too late to have head coaching moves get made. But this is now the most, the most viewed, the most paid attention to coaching vacancy in all of college football, even more than UCLA. And their head coaching vacancy, their head coaching vacancy. Because Ryan Grubb is a quarterback maestro. The last couple of quarterbacks he's been the offense coordinator for, Jay Kaner got to the NFL, stud at Fresno State. Michael Penix, he's going in the first round. Having Ryan Grubb there, and it's not as if Kalen DeBoer was uninvolved with these with these players. It's not as if he was not contributing to their development. He absolutely was. 
But having Ryan Grubb removed from the equation now takes Kalen DeBoer's focus away from doing things like talking to donors, like figuring out what your depth chart's going to be, like figuring out what your culture's going to be, like doing everything that is involved with being a head coach takes away from recruiting because you have to go find a new offensive coordinator. Who's going to be available? I don't know. Kalen DeBoer hasn't been a head coach in quite some time without Ryan Grubb as his offensive coordinator. And no, Grubb was not some ace recruiter. You could find someone who you could argue is an upgrade over Ryan Grubb. But this hire is critically important. And Kalen DeBoer is not foreign to calling plays. But this is the modern world of college football. There are not a lot of head coaches that still call plays. The guy that replaced Kalen DeBoer in Washington, that's Jed Fish, he calls plays. Lincoln Riley calls plays at USC. That's about the list for, for major programs with head coaches that are calling plays. Why? Because your duties and responsibilities are not tenfold. They feel 15 or 20-fold at this point. Yeah, you're involved with game playing, but you're involved with recruiting. You're involved with NIL. You're involved with, but you're involved with everything. You are so widespread as a head coach, you don't have time to be the play caller. And Kalen DeBoer, for the last couple of years, hasn't had to worry about that. So if your solution to, well, Kalen DeBoer's an offensive guy, he'll just call the plays. No, I don't think that's going to happen. He has to have somebody else in mind who he's got to go find right now to be the offensive coordinator for Alabama football, to be the quarterback's coach, which is also what Ryan Grubb was going to serve as for Jalen Milrow, the guy who I thought was going to help Jalen Milrow become an even better version of himself. Is it great to have Kalen DeBoer there? Absolutely. I, I think it absolutely is. But who your play caller is, you can't replicate that. You cannot replicate that. So he's going to be working in a new environment in which he's a head coach and Grubb is not his offensive coordinator. And he's going to have to get to know and get to work with somebody who he hasn't been with before. This is a really important hire. This is a really important hire. And I tell you what, if you're a fan of other SEC teams, go get Alabama right now. This this is going to be the year. Their win total has been posted on FanDuel at nine and a half. I could see them going under at nine and three, missing the playoff. Dare I say eight and four could be in the cards. Okay, that, that, that feels a little bit too far. Unless you're an Auburn fan listening to or watching this, which I know there's at least one of you out there that is. And I, I just get the sense that those, those fans down there that scream War Eagle might love the prospect of an eight and four Alabama. A lot of SEC teams would. But this is the year. This is the time. Because Kalen DeBoer is going to be hiring an offense coordinator. We don't know who it's going to be. We don't know how they're going to work together. One of the reasons that DeBoer is someone who I thought was a great hire and why I thought it would work quickly at Alabama is that he had tremendous staff continuity. They brought in a new staff on the defensive side for the top positions. They brought in a couple of lower level head coaches. One from Buffalo, one from South Alabama. Really, really good moves on the defensive side of the ball. They've got great personnel. They stabilized their roster with the way they've added players via the transfer portal. But not having Grubb there, I think this is the worst Alabama team that Kalen DeBoer will have with a Crimson Tide because this is a major, major adjustment for him. This is a major adjustment for the staff, and it just disrupts everything that they'd like to be doing right now which is getting ready for spring football. Instead, they've got to go find out and find, you know, their their next offensive coordinator, one of the highest ranking coaches on your staff, 
the guy who's going to be calling the play, sure, Kalen DeBoer can come on the headset throughout the course of the year and say, hey, uh, we want to run this, or ooh, maybe do this, or hey, run the ball here, or hey, do this, that, or the other thing. But the guy calling the plays has been Ryan Grubb. This is going to be a legitimate adjustment. This is not a hit on the recruiting front. I, I don't expect that to be the case. The 30-day window has closed, so players are not going to be entering the portal in droves. That's the upside to this if you're an Alabama fan, is Kalen DeBoer's got time to kind of calm any nerves that players are having offensively for Alabama with the spring transfer portal window looming and and, and kind of ease their, their minds and say, hey, we're going to find somebody who's going to be great. And, and you can not only bring that guy in, you can introduce him to the players and start to build that relationship and all the dynamics that you need to be successful offensively. But this is a problem for Alabama. This is an absolute problem. I don't know who they're going to hire. Kalen DeBoer better have a Rolodex of guys that he can call because the rest of the SEC is being very, well, you know, SEC-ish. Ole Miss is not messing around. LSU revamped their defensive staff, and with good reason. Texas A&M has got a new head coach. I could keep going. I didn't even mention Georgia. I didn't even mention Georgia, who should probably be be the favorites to win the SEC in the national championship. Good, Good luck going through them as you try to work out the kinks in your coaching staff when you have to replace a guy who you've had as your right hand man and play caller for the last several seasons. The UCLA head coaching job is the second biggest thing to watch in the coaching world right now. Who should be a target? You can find all your targets via LinkedIn Jobs, of course, because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn is not just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire, gives you the access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. How easy? How intuitive? You get a qualified candidate for your small business within 24 hours, 86% of the time. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats, they don't have the time or resources to hire, so they help you out. It's why over 2 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free, like Alabama Offensive Coordinator. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was an unnecessary jab. I chuckled. I hope you did too. Post your draft for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Who's going to be the next head coach for the UCLA Bruins? That's the Big Ten bound UCLA Bruins, mind you. Is it going to be PJ Fleck at Minnesota? He has been listed on all these lists and targets that you see and all these pieces and whatnot as one of the top candidates there. I think that'd be a pretty outstanding hire. I also don't think P.J. Fleck would be quick to automatically dismiss the move. Why? Because UCLA, in theory, is a better job than Minnesota. Once built the way that he has built Minnesota to a place where going 6-7, and seven, having a bowl game victory is an unsuccessful, disappointing, letdown sort of season with the Golden Gophers. Remember back in 2019, they ended the year with a double-digit win season and finished 10th in the country. That's, that's where he wants to continue to have them playing at. He, he strung together a couple nine-win seasons, and then they had a down year this year. But 
If things are rolling at UCLA, tell me, where is, is a better place to recruit? Los Angeles or Minnesota? I, I have not been to the great state of Minnesota. I, I cannot say that I have been there. My understanding is the people are very nice, and I am sure they are. Let us not act in a way that leads us to believe UCLA doesn't have a stronger recruiting base than Minnesota. Now, I have argued on this very show and continue to argue that anyone should be hesitant when taking this UCLA job. Why? Because it is not as attractive of a job as it may seem on the surface. That said, even the dire situation that it is in, it is still a better job to have than Minnesota because of your location. And now the Golden Gophers can't hang the conference pedigree banner over UCLA and recruiting because they're both in the Big Ten now because none of this makes any sense. And so what P.J. Fleck has to ask himself is, have I made Minnesota as good as I can possibly make it? Was that 2019 season the peak or is there another gear? Do I want to build upon the momentum of the last couple of years and where we're at as a brand and everything that I've been building here? Do I want to try and make that into a playoff caliber team in this Big Ten? Or do I feel like I've hit the ceiling? We had a great year. It's become a solid, steady, consistent program. And I want to go somewhere in which the ceiling as a football program is higher. That's what he has to ask himself. Here's what UCLA has to ask himself ask themselves rather as an entire department. Number one, how committed are we to football? Because boy, it doesn't look great from afar. But number two, do we hire somebody that we feel can help us win more games now and, and save us from some disastrous seasons? Or do you go with a long-term sort of play? If I'm the administration at UCLA, I am going for the long-term play. And PJ Fleck has shown he can be that sort of guy. He was at Central Michigan. He was at Minnesota. Neither one of those are what you would consider football powers in the sport. And you look, and each time that he has been given an opportunity to lead those programs, there has been a slow, consistent, steady build that developed into a really good reputation and a lot of W's rather than L's. And so P.J. Fleck could be that sort of option. A short-term option is just not in the cards. I just don't see how UCLA could possibly go for someone who they feel, well, if he just brings this player and that player with him. You know, Jed Fish might have been, I'll get to him in a moment. Jed Fish is the best sort of short-term option for Washington in terms of we don't want to bottom out. We want to try and compete now. He can bring players with him from Arizona. He's a guy who knows how to win football games. We can win the most games right now. Doesn't mean he isn't a good long-term play as well, but he's got that short-term element to him. I don't think anyone can really help the short-term situation at UCLA. Their win total's been posted at FanDuel at four and a half. It's, it's that low for a reason. It's because they are going to struggle going into the Big Ten. I'll talk about that more on tomorrow's show. But if you're UCLA, you are looking for a long-term play. You got to you have to establish a new recruiting base because Chip Kelly didn't do a great job with that during his six year tenure. I mean, he he won some games, did some solid things, but Chip Kelly is not a big time recruiter. That's why he's an offensive coordinator now. 
because he's tired of all the head coaching responsibilities. UCLA has to find someone who is in for a long-term rebuild and who can exist and thrive in today's world of college football. So P.J. Fleck absolutely should be one of those targets if you are the Bruins. Urban Meyer. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. Not as crazy as a world that doesn't have Urban Meyer coaching college football. Urban Meyer's track record is unmatched. Who else has won a national championship at two different places? Nick Saban and... um, I'm struggling to come up with anybody else. Help me out in the YouTube comments if I'm missing somebody there. If I sound serious about this, it's because I am serious about this. If you wanted to demonstrate as an administration, as an athletic department, a university, that you're actually committed to football in a way that you haven't been in the past, that I was railing against on an episode slash segment of the show last week, going out and getting a name like Urban Meyer, you want to bring attention to the program? You want to make people turn their heads and suddenly start considering UCLA? You want to put the fear of God on the recruiting trail into Lincoln Riley and that staff at USC? Urban Meyer. I don't. I have no idea how interested Urban Meyer is in coaching college football. All I know is that he's gone to two places and won a lot of football games. And he did so fairly recently at the college ranks. I don't care what he did in the NFL. Just like Matt Rule. Don't care what he did in Carolina. I care what he's done in college. These are completely different entities. Another name I've seen, Tommy Reese, would be kind of a young, you get a guy who's hungry. He's not particularly experienced. I thought his offense at Alabama and the one before that, Notre Dame, they were just okay. I could see it. I I mean, I, I, I could see it. I don't think it'd be the worst hire in the world. He wouldn't be at the top of my list, but he'd be out there. Now, Here are two things that have been flying around that I cannot add any validity or take away any credibility from. There have been these random reports going around on X that Jed Fish at Washington and Brent Brennan at Arizona have interviewed or are interested in the UCLA job. Here's all I am going to say on that. Again, I have got no sources here. This is just my gut intuition as to what to make of those particular reports. No way. No way. If I'm wrong, I will come on here, right hand to God, and say, I'm wrong. I was absolutely wrong. I do not see the benefit, and I cannot imagine. It is one thing to be an offensive coordinator somewhere, Ryan Grubb, Bill O'Brien, Cliff Kingsbury back in the day, and leave for either the NFL or a head coaching opportunity. It is another thing to be named the head coach, have an entire press conference, meet with players, meet with fans, meet with donors, meet with alumni, and then a couple weeks later, no. Just, I cannot see that happening. I have no idea, absolutely no idea if if these you know, reports are are accurate, that Jed Fish interview, that Brent Brennan did did this. I have no idea. Absolutely no clue. My gut instinct, though, not a shot. So if you're a UCLA fan, would not get excited or, or think about that. If it does happen, that'd be pretty bonkers. I'm telling you, again, no sourcing, gut instinct here. My gut says that's not gonna fly. 
Last thing here. This has got, I mean, got to go away if you're a UCLA fan. I keep saying, seeing the name David Shaw pop up. One of the most well-liked, well-respected coaches of the last 15 years in college football for a reason. He did more than just build on Jim Harbaugh's momentum at Stanford. He built that thing into something that was his own and sustained success for a long time. The modern world of college football has passed him by. He had an identity crisis as a head coach at Stanford. He is not well-versed in the portal and NIL world. Yes, from an individual coach producing quality young men at an academically prestigious institution, it's a fit. But from a football standpoint, if I'm UCLA, I've got no interest. This would be the opposite of an Urban Meyer hire. It would be the opposite of an Urban Meyer hire, which would de- which would represent a complete and total commitment to we want to win, we need to win, and we need someone who's going to come in and help us win. David Shaw would be we're content to just have a good reputation as a program and be a really good school and be a basketball school. David Shaw would not do it if I'm UCLA. PJ Fleck, top of the list. Urban Meyer, number two. Maybe even number one. David Shaw, uh uh-uh. And as for the Washington, Arizona coaches, I wouldn't get your hopes up there. SMU and the ACC. (laughs) I I got some thoughts about SMU and the ACC. I've got some thoughts about FanDuel as well. Yeah. Uh, So FanDuel is where you can get, you know, buckets. I mean, like literal buckets of cash, of course, because they're America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins. See, you can bet against the Blazers. You can bet against the Pistons. You can bet against anybody who's bound to lose. If it wins, you get 150 in bonus bets. Bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same-game parlays, ex- exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and shoot your shot. You'll never know until you try. So go check them out at FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel official sportsbook partner of the NBA. So SMU in the ACC, <laughs> it still doesn't sound right. It's one of those phrases where you start that sentence and then you go, wow, what if I said that to someone on the street in 2015? Crazy times. Anyway, those are the times we live in right now. SMU is going into the ACC and they're going to make some noise, more than you probably think. Why? Well, FanDuel released their win total. It's seven and a half. Doesn't that seem curiously high? Is Vegas right 100% of the time? No, but when they set lines like this, I I I I just I do a double take. I look and go, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. wait. Their, their their line is what now? Their win total is set it set, but they're going how could how could they put you may be wondering, Spencer, how can a team from the G5 be ready to go into the ACC and have an over-under win total of 7.5? Meaning, if if they go over, which according to the odds makers is just as likely as them going under, they'd be an 8 or 9 win team in year one? How can they do that? I'll tell you how. Do you remember Johnny Manziel? You might have heard of him. If you're a college football fan, you probably have a good idea who Johnny Manziel is. He used to do the... Uh, he used to rub his fingers together when he'd throw a touchdown. Moneymaker. 
money, 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 money. Well, that's how ACC, how, how SMU rather, got into the ACC. SMU got in there because they're not taking any media rights money. None. Zip. Zero. Zilch. They might not even get a payout from the college football playoff, which is supposed to go to every Power 5 team. They might not get one of those. Because I think the NCAA is trying to, you know, tampen down the whole realignment stuff and disincentivize those sorts of moves. But let's keep it football for now. Because SMU is in the ACC. Their schedule is out. And their win total is rather high. And there are several reasons as to why. First of all, they have got a returning head coach in Rhett Lashley who just won the American Athletic Conference Championship over Tulane. They were the reigning conference champs. SMU went 11-3. and They did lose their bowl game to Boston College. They did go 0-3 against Power 5 teams last year. So you may be wondering, Spencer, why would SMU's win total be that high? Why are you so confident they can go over that 7.5 win total? Well, it is rather simple. When teams are going from the group of five to the power five or power four now in the world that we've got, what's the biggest obstacle? What's the biggest hurdle they face? Depth. Talent. They've got bigger, faster, stronger guys. They've got a better quarterback. They've got better receivers. Heck, they might even have better coaches top to bottom on their staff. All those things can be true. But in the transfer portal era, well, how do you get players? How do you recruit in this particular era? Being located in a hub like Dallas, yeah, that's not that's not a bad start if you are SMU. But the money factor can't be overlooked. It doesn't get you everything that you want in recruiting. But did you know that one of the richest NIL collectives in the entire country, it's at SMU. They've got the money for all the talk about, well, you pay players, you're just, you're just buying players and whatnot. You know who can do that? SMU. I have no idea who they've done it with, who they haven't done it with, but everything is legal and above board now. So what does anybody care? That's the situation that we've got. So for SMU, they are going to be perhaps the most qualified and capable university and football program to build a competitive roster at the power conference ranks quicker than anybody else because they've got the money to do it. And the recruiting has paid off in a pretty solid way. So they're off in an 11-win season. So I know that when when Rhett Lashley has got you know at least equal or maybe mildly superior talent to what, what he's got compared to his conference foes, he's capable of going in and winning games against good coaches. A lot of good coaches in the American Conference. A lot of them all over the place, constantly a feeder to Power 5 coaching opportunities. You know who a candidate Texas A&M was? Yeah, that would be Jeff Trailer at UTSA in the American. Really good football coach. So I think that Rhett Lashley's a good coach. That's the first thing. Second thing, he's got his quarterback coming back. Preston Stone last year was, was one of the most efficient but under-the-radar quarterbacks in all of college football. He had a big, big season for the Mustangs in an offense in which Rhett Lashley wants to throw the football around. So you've got a returning quarterback and a returning coach. How many places can say that? How, how many teams in college football can say, we have the same head coach and the same quarterback as we did the previous year? I'll give you a hint. It's not a very big number. There are some that can do it. Kirby Smart can do it at Georgia with Carson Beck. 
But just go down the SEC, for instance. LSU, nope. Bama, nope. Ole Miss can. Guess what? I love Ole Miss in the SEC. I think they're really good. But in the ACC, you've got Dabo and Cade Klubnik. That's a returning duo. Florida State has got a different quarterback. Miami's got a different quarterback. Just, just just keep rattling them off. It's not a rare, or it's not a common combination. It's actually pretty rare. And it's a pretty darn big advantage. We saw it last year out west. Michael Penix at Washington. Same head coach, same quarterback. Bo Nix at Oregon. Same head coach, same quarterback. Jaden Daniels at LSU. Same head coach, same quarterback. Those three guys were all Heisman finalists. I'm not ensuring that with Preston Stone. I'm just saying... That's clearly an advantage to have that level of continuity. So that's the second thing. The third thing is that SMU, as I talked about, is capable of building a competitive roster rather quickly. Yeah, they're they're doing that. They've brought in 12 transfers this offseason. Guess what? They're all from Power 4 schools. All of them. That's how you get yourself ready to make more noise than people may think you're going to. You look at what happened in the Big 12 And it was not a good year for the newcomers. The G5 jumpers? Yeah, BYU missed a bowl game. Cincinnati missed a bowl game. Houston missed a bowl game. Fired their coach. Made a good hire in Willie Fritz, by the way, from Tulane. I think he could do pretty well there. UCF made a bowl game and lost. The best year that a G5 jumper had in the Big 12 last year was 6-7. and SMU is not going to be like that. SMU is not going to be like that because... They are a capable team. That's it. I'm not saying conference contender. I'm just saying they fit into the ACC. They've got a coach and quarterback that know what they're doing. They've got a roster that is littered with power five transfers. And then you look at their schedule and you go, oh, this is why their win total is so high. So they play on August 24th. Who do they play? Nevada, that's hiring a new head coach because in the Mountain West, they couldn't win more than just a couple games. They were a two or three win team last year. That's a rebuilding Nevada team that has not been good in quite some time. It will not be a one-year turnaround there in Reno for the Wolfpack. So they have to start on the road, SMU does. That's not great. Then they have three straight at home. They got three straight at home. Houston Christian... I'm going to go out on a limb and say they they will win that game. BYU and TCU. Those will be really good benchmarks. A great barometer of how successful SMU can be next year. But between BYU, TCU, who I expect to be a bounce-back team in the Big 12, do do you think they can win one of those games? Because I do. I, I absolutely do. I absolutely think SMU at home, can win one of those games, especially since they have a bye in between. They play BYU on September 6th, they have a bye, and then then they play TCU on September 21st. So they go Friday, bye week, Saturday game. That's a lot of rest. That's a lot of preparation for the Horn Frogs to come into Gerald J. Ford Stadium. So that's a great start. Then they play Florida State at home the following week. That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. But through those first five games... I, I think three and two is the minimum of what I expect from SMU in this spot. And then they have to play three straight road games, but they do get a bye in the middle. At Louisville, at Stanford, there's a bye in between, and then at Duke. Okay, that's not that's not going to be easy. 
But do I think it's impossible? Do I think they're going winless there? No. Again, I do not. So at minimum, I've got three wins through the first five. At minimum, I've got one win in the next three. That's four. And then you come down the list and they go at home against Pitt, at home against Boston College, at Virginia, at Cal. I think they're winning at minimum those two of those games. Three of the last four at home? Yeah, I like it. I like it quite a bit. So I like their schedule. I'm seeing a minimum of six wins. That's that's the low end here. That's what I'm baking into the cake. If they go just a little bit above and beyond, just win a couple of those games that I think are 50-50, that I think are toss-up. Duke's got a new head coach and a, and a new quarterback in Malik Murphy. Louisville's got a new quarterback in Tyler Shuck under Jeff Brom. What if they win two of those games? Over seven and a half. I, I think SMU is at least, at least an eight-win team in 2024 as they go into the ACC. I don't know if they'll be a contender just yet, but they'll make some noise. Appreciate everyone listening. I will see you next time. And until then, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.